Well, those of you that have been a part of our church at all this year know that uh, we have a theme this year, and our theme is, Why Does It Matter? And we have spent this entire year trying to answer that question. And we find ourselves here almost at the end of May, and we're continuing this conversation. We've explored different facets of topics that we think matter. And so for the spring, our topic is family. Why does it matter? So today, I, I want to talk to you about something that I believe is connected to friendship, and, or to families, rather, and that is friendship. So I've entitled the message today, Friends and Families. How many of y'all know what a family is? <clears throat> Some of you do. How many of you are in families right now? Okay, you know, where you have these circle of friends that become incredibly close to you, and they really begin to function like family. You know, we live in a highly mobile society. A lot of people who live in the Metroplex aren't from the Metroplex. And a lot of them have left their family roots, if you will, to be a part of this community, and their families are elsewhere. And so they have often been looking for many, many folks in metropolitan areas like ours, looking for places to belong, to find and forge these deep friendships. So I want us to think about that this morning. And I want you to think about these kids over here who are graduating. Because what's about to happen to them is, as they go wherever it is they go over this next season in their life, they're going to forge friendships. And those friendships are going to have an incredible, incredible amount of influence over them. And so I would say to you graduating seniors, something that we're praying for you is that you will cultivate intentionally the right kinds of friendships. Because we know, those of us who've done this, we know how valuable they are and will be to you. So with that said, I want us to look at this text. There's just two verses in John's gospel, if you have your copy of the New Testament, John, the very first page of John, just two verses what I want us to look at. And it's our custom to stand and honor the Lord Jesus when we read the gospel, so I invite you to do that with me. But this text, it's interesting when you read John's gospel, you get all the way to the end of John, John 20, and John says, Jesus did a lot more things than, than I was able to put in this book. He says, however... These things, the things he's placed in this gospel, he says, I've put them here so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. And then he records a conversation for us in John 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in that conversation, Jesus tells Nicodemus, don't be surprised that I'm telling you, you must be born again. So that imagery of being birthed, the imagery of finding life, is found in this gospel. It's actually introduced on the first page. So if you look with me at chapter one, after John describes who Jesus is as the Son of God, the Word of God, the light of the world, and then he says that light came into the world, but he says in verse 11, many people rejected him. However, look at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's that idea of new birth 
and life in his name. Verse 13, children not born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Thank you. You can be seated. So I wonder this morning as we begin this conversation, how many friends do you have? Let me tell you how many I have. I have, let me find it. Let me see, hold on. I have, turns out, 3,504 friends. Hold on. I've got some, I've got some requests waiting, I'll be honest with you. So, uh, that's a no, no, that's a no. Okay, I'll do all that later, but maybe by the day's end, I may even have a few more before it's over with. But interestingly enough, not everybody counted on my Facebook feed are actually real friends. They're really not. As a matter of fact, did you know that's actually a legal statement? I don't know if y'all read about this, remember this, but you know, back in 2017, a lawsuit was brought to the uh, court system in Florida where a particular law firm challenged something that was happening in the courtroom in front of them, and they asked the Circuit Court of Appeals in Florida to disqualify the judge because she was Facebook friends with the other folks' lawyer. So they filed a grievance against Judge Beatrice Butchko. And they said she can't rule fairly in our trial because the opposing attorney, Israel Reyes, is a Facebook friend of Judge Butchko. So the Harrison Law Group filed a complaint. The District Court of Appeals ruled against them. And so they finally fought it out. It finally made it to the Supreme Court of Florida. So here's what the Supreme Court of Florida has ruled. November 2018, by vote of four to three. They said that Butchko did not have to give up a case because of her Facebook friendship with the attorney. Here's what they said as their decision. Let me read it to you. Facebook friendships are more casual and not as long lasting and the connection may be as fleeting as the flick of a delete button. Thus, the existence of a social media friendship between the judge and an attorney does not reasonably convey a close friendship. So there you go. By vote of the Florida Supreme Court, all of these friends on Facebook are not really my real friends. Let me pause and just take in the sadness of that for just a second. <laughs> I thought I was so more connected. <clears throat> So let me ask you this. What is a real friend? How would you describe a real friend? Um, someone famously said, if I have to clean my house before you come over, we're not real friends. <laughs> Oscar Wilde famously said one time, a true friend stabs you in the front. <laughs> one person said, friends are God's way of apologizing for our families. <clears throat> Mark Twain said, I don't want to commit myself about heaven or hell. I have friends in both places. <clears throat> this one here I thought was one of my favorites. 
guy, Kaiser, said, I bet dying vultures have lots of awkward moments with their friends. You might have to think about that one for just a little while. <clears throat> um, one person says, true friendship is when you walk into their house and your Wi-Fi connects automatically. Um, and then another favorite of mine, Emil saint Genis, says, true friends don't judge each other, they judge other people together. <laughs> that is a real statement of friendship, I would say. Um, well, those of you that have been attending here the last few weeks, you know that we've been using a TV family to illustrate, help us better understand, or at least have a conversation about whatever topic is at hand that day. So our topic today is friendship. So I want you to think about, there, there was an array of options for us to choose from when you think about friendships in TV families. I mean, for example, how about Lucy Ricardo and Ethel Mertz, right? Y'all may have to Google them to even know who they are. But how about Frodo? Do you think Frodo would have made it to the top of the mountain of doom without Samwise Gamgee? Um, how about Harry Potter, Ron and Hermione? Or we actually watched a clip from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Will and Carlton. And, but there have been so many, Bert and Ernie. Um, Hawkeye and Trapper John, Fred and Barney, um, Felix and Oscar, Batman and Robin, Jerry Seinfeld and George, Laverne and Shirley, Andy and Barney. I mean, seriously, um, if you've ever watched the second episode, turns out they were cousins, but not everybody knows that. And then there was this bar in Boston back in the 80s where everybody knew your name. Y'all remember that one? So... But if you're going to show a clip, a clip about friendship, what's the natural one you're going to think of? Friends. Friends. Okay. So, um, 1994 to 2004, Friends dominated uh, the TV life in some ways, helped create a culture, if you will. I'll be honest with you, I never watched Friends very much uh, in those days. Uh, it uh, had some questionable uh, moral depictions uh, for my tastes. But what I would say, um, it actually did capture the imagination of our society. You remember the premise, right? These six friends are in Manhattan and they're dealing with all the challenges of young adulthood and an image conscious culture a fast-paced lifestyle, and in spite of some of the, uh, the moral questions, this, this group of people, they somehow forged a relationship where they had acceptance of each other, and they created an environment where they could be themselves, and it was okay. And they made mistakes together, and they did life together. In fact, they became a family, I would say. The last episode, May 2004, of Friends was the most watched television show in the entire decade. Some of you may remember that last episode where the time has come to actually move out of the apartment. So let's watch that final scene from the last episode of Friends. truck, it wouldn't be the worst 
honey, I forgot. I promised Trigger that we'd leave our keys. Oh, okay. This is it. Yeah. I guess so. This is harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. Okay. Well, do you guys have to go to the new house right away or do you have some time? Where? <laughs> now, if you know anything about that show, you know the coffee shop where they all met. The set had been disassembled the week prior to the shooting of this show, so the set of the coffee shop had already been disassembled. So that was an ad lib line. Where? Because they all knew there was nowhere for them to go, at least on the show. But the deal is, this group of folks, they found life together. And here's what's interesting. I've read several interviews with them. Of course, you know, this show helped launch a couple of careers, did all kinds of things for them. But every single one of them, when interviewed, said the very same thing. They said, this cast actually became our family in real life. And so... That's really what I want us to think about this morning, this whole idea of developing deep friendships and finding those friendships in the right places. And as we do that, those friendships become so important to us. C.S. Lewis said that friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. That, it's that moment of connection that happens. C.S. Lewis also said, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy and art. He says, however, it has no survival value. But here's what he says about it. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. What an amazing insight. Well, here's what I'd say about friendships. I believe that friendships should be forged appropriately, but I would offer to y'all this morning one of the best places for friendships to begin to develop and deepen is in and through the church. I would hope that our church would be a place where deep friendships can be forged, where you can find people and you can be friends with them and do life with them. Because I believe the church offers that. When I think about the challenges our society faces today, and the mobility of our people, and the need for roots, one of the places you can find that is at the church. Here's why. The church is actually a spiritual family. 
I want you to notice the language in John 1. If you still have your Bible open, the language is very familial. John says, you know, when, when the Lord came, many of his own rejected him. But the ones who received him, he says, they actually were given the right. Exousia is the Greek word. They, they were given the privilege to become children of God. And he says, but they weren't born of, of, um, of natural descent. All of this is forecasting what John is going to tell us. He's going to tell us this story about new birth, being born again into this family. And so the, the church is actually a family. As Christians, we're born into a spiritual family. We have companions. We have fellow travelers. And they are our brothers and our sisters. That David Benner has written a book called Sacred Companions. Here's what he says in his opening chapter. He says, the essence of Christian spirituality is following Christ on a journey of personal transformation. The distant land to which we're called is not heaven. It's the new creature into which Christ wishes to fashion us, the whole and a holy person that finds his or her uniqueness, identity, and calling in Christ. Spiritual friends accompany each other on that journey. The calling of God in your life to become a new creation in Christ is what takes place at your salvation and that becomes your Christian journey. And you need spiritual companions. You're not designed to do it by yourself. What does the Bible say? What's the very first not good in the Bible? Do you remember? The very first not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. That's not a word about being single. That's not the point. It's not a word about you need to be married. That's not what that means. What that means is, is that you and I were designed uniquely by God for companionship, for partnership. You can be married with children and be alone. You can be a single adult and live a completely fulfilled life and not experience what loneliness really is. That's, that's the point. We're not designed by God to do all of this by ourselves. We, we need companions. One of the best places I know to find that is not at some bar in Boston. It's the church. This is the family of God. And surely to goodness, we can be that for people. The imagery of new birth, the imagery of a calling to love, the imagery of laying down your life for one another, the depth of human relationships is woven through the story of John's gospel, and it's a call to the church. And if there's ever been a time that we've needed that, we need it right now, because right now in this society, we are living in a polarized environment. Everybody has a quick trigger. We are quick to judge. We are quick to establish ourselves as being right. We are quick to look down our noses at others. We are quick to be dismissive of others. The challenge to create deep and lasting friendships is a real challenge today. And I would submit to you our churches need to be those places where that can happen. Because here's the truth about the church. The church is a Christian community and it offers Christian community and that Christian community develops around our common commitments. In other words, we share some things together and because of that, we can forge our lives together in spite of our incredible differences. 
We can bring various perspectives to the same place, commit ourselves to deeper truths that really matter, and forge our friendships around them, and then those differences don't become so divisive. And what an example that is for my world right now, because my world today, most people in my world live in echo chambers. Their only desire is to be with people just like them, have the same views as they do, have the same prejudices that they do, have the same desires that they do, and feed the same things they want fed. And without, with, with that kind of environment, the example of churches where the people of God can gather together around their commitment to Jesus, their desire to see lost people come to Christ, their hope to be spiritually transformed and live together with diverse people who come from all kinds of backgrounds, but we can unite around the things that are much bigger than what divide us. Those are examples we need in our world today. And I believe the church is to be just that. And so I would encourage us to cultivate friendships within the body of Christ, lives that are joined together meaningfully, that matter, so that we make sacrifices for each other. We listen to each other. We care about each other. And we develop the kind of climate that in spite of the differences we may share in here together, we hold to one another because of our friendships. That's the kind of church I want us to be. The kind of church that in the church we tease each other, we love each other, we disagree with each other, but nobody outside this church better talk about us. Because this is our church. And we believe in it. And we have people who have very different views in this place. And I would tell you, churches like ours are becoming harder and harder and harder to find. Deep friendships, significant relationships build the life of a church like this. And I would encourage all of us to be protective over it. Because here's the thing. These deep friendships, they can evolve into relationships that are familial and develop something that's now known as a family. I want to believe that at First Baptist Arlington, you can find a family. You may not have roots here. You may not be a multi-generational person here. You may be brand new, but here's what I want you to know. Even the people that have roots here and the people that have multi-generational connections here still need friends. And they need you. And I would encourage you to build into those friendships. Make time for them. Pour your life into the lives of other people. Sometimes it calls for sacrifice. Give and take. Of course it does. That's just how friendships work. But these families, they create a certain dynamic. And you know what? It encourages you whenever you engage in relationships that are people that, that are different than you to recognize that not everybody has to live life the way you do it. They just don't. You may have a certain pre-designed, pre pre-subscribed idea of what success looks like. And lo and behold, if you're in a church like this and you get to know people, you might find people who are incredibly successful who are not living the way you do. And what I mean by that is they've made different decisions socially. As long as they're in the context and the fabric of the teachings of the scripture, it's a beautiful thing. And so I would encourage us to be patient with each other. Allow people to live the way they feel called to live in this body. Develop deep friendships guided by the scripture. And enjoy the beauty of that, the sacrifice that comes. Friends make deep sacrifices for each other. That's what, that's what matters. 
You know, right now, many of us who are golf fans, we're watching a golf tournament right now, the PGA Championship, okay? It's the, one of the major tournaments on the men's pro tour. Those of us that like golf, we have some golfers we like, we have some golfers we don't like so much. And, you know, in golf, you're not supposed to cheer when your opponent hits a bad shot. But if it's a person you don't like, it's hard not to. It just is. Um, but right now, there are several golfers today in contention for this championship. One of them is Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau went to SMU. Do you know when he was um, competing in the U.S. Amateur back in 2015, his dad, John DeChambeau, was suffering mightily with diabetes. And he was on kidney dialysis. And he was not able to travel to see his son play golf. And he was competing in the U.S. Amateur, and one of the announcers just said something about DeChambeau's dad being ill. Well, there was a guy that grew up with John DeChambeau who was watching the broadcast. They'd been childhood friends, hadn't seen each other in years in their adult life. And he was watching Bryson, heard this story, and he said, well, I want to get in touch with John and just see how he's doing. I hate that he's, he's ill. So it took a while, so he finally was able to get in touch with Bryson who connected him to his dad. Well, then they had this connection. They'd been childhood friends. They'd grown, each, grown up with each other. They knew each other's families. Just hadn't been connected in adulthood. And this guy ended up going to one of the golf tournaments, seeing Bryson play, saw his dad, and he asked his dad, what is it you need? His dad said, I need a kidney. And this guy said, well, why don't we test mine and see if you can have one of mine? Two childhood friends. And so this guy ended up donating his kidney to Bryson DeChambeau's dad. Surgery was successful. John was taken off dialysis. The, the, the donor went through a, a months and months of recuperation. But John, um, he survived so well, he was actually able to travel to go see his son win the U.S. Open, which he hadn't been able to do in a long time. Now, John DeChambeau died in November of last year um, because this kidney only lasted so long. But the point is, because of the sacrifice of a friend, he was able to have his life enriched toward the end of his life in a way that he never dreamed possible. What did Jesus say about that? What, it seems like I remember Jesus saying something like, greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for a friend. Isn't that right? And then what did Jesus do? He went and did it. And he showed us that that's the kind of love he had. Well, I would say to me and you as friends, building these deep, solid relationships I want to encourage us to be open to how God might use them and shape them. Who knows? You may need to become a host of a new family. You know, at our house, we've, we've had so many people in and out of our homes, through, our homes through the years. My goodness, people have lived with us. Uh, we have folks that eat dinner with us, feel very much at home. And, and you know that they're good friends because we don't clean the house before they come. That's one of the testimonies. That's how you know if you're Cindy Wiles' good friend, okay? And you gotta be really good to get into that little group. But if you are, you're blessed and you really become a part of our family. And we've had that happen right here in this church. We have young folks in this church who now are part of our lives. Uh, they're not in our family, they're in our family and we love them. And we've been intentional about relating to them. Well, I want to encourage you to do just that. Now, I want to say this in closing to our high school grads in particular. Um, all of y'all today got a Bible. And the Bibles um, have messages in them from church members, friends, family. A lot of folks have written in those for y'all. But I've written in every one of y'all's Bibles. And what I did was I pointed you to a passage of Scripture and I outlined it for you. And you're probably going to be shocked, but it's Psalm 1. And what I want you 
graduates to remember, inscribed on the very wall of your church is Psalm 1. If you're a guest with us today, you may not know that, but Psalm 1 is written along the foundation of this church all the way around this room because we're Psalm 1 people here. And the reason that I did that, I also, you're not going to be surprised, I pointed you to John 14 because that's where Jesus talks about being the way. And I want you to remember to follow the Jesus way. But Psalm 1 is an important word about friendship, and I want you all to keep it in mind. What Psalm 1 says this is that a blessed person is very careful about who they choose as their closest friends. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't sit with the sinners. You don't engage with the scoffers and the mockers. In other words, you may have friends that are like that on the extreme of your life, the extremity of your life, but they're not your core friends. Your core friends are the ones who have your best interest at heart. And so one of the things that you're all about to do is you're all about to get that place in your life where you're gonna be getting up on your own. You're gonna be going where you'd like to go. Some of you are gonna be coming in when you wanna come in. And one of the things you're gonna get to do is you're gonna get to hang out with whoever you wanna hang out with. And that's a brand new thing for a lot of you. And what I would tell you is do it, but do it well. Be thoughtful about how you invite, who you invite in because those people that you invite into your life during this next season in your life are gonna be very influential people. And they're gonna help shape you, shape how you think, how you feel. They're gonna help shape how you respond to your parents because they're going through the very same thing you're going through, making those same life adjustments. And they're gonna have a shaping influence on you. So I would just encourage you and bless you in that endeavor. You need to do it. You need to learn how to do it because you need that skill for the rest of your life. It'll follow you everywhere you go. But when you make these friends... I would just caution you as your pastor, be thoughtful about who you let in the inside of your life. Make sure that they're the right kind of folks, people that you can trust and who genuinely have your best interest at heart. I would encourage you, I believe the best place you can find people like that, at a church. So go find a church wherever you go if you're leaving here and make yourself a family. It'd be good for you. I would say to us as a church, let's pray for them as they go. Let's bless them as they go. Let's be mindful. They're going to make new friends. They're going to be doing things that some of you parents have no idea what they're doing. Y'all know that though, right? You did it. You did it. They're going to do it. So think about it. You made a lot of mistakes. I did. We all did. But you know what? Along the way, I made one or two good choices, didn't you? I made a few good choices along the way that blessed me, still blessed me to this day. Let's pray for them that they'll do the same. And let's be the kind of church that blesses and affirms these deep, meaningful friendships. May it be so. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we, we do love you and we thank you for how you've designed us, Lord. You've, you've created us for community, companionship, friendship, the capacity to give, receive love, and you've made us to love, to be loved. Thank you for that. And Lord, certainly we pray for our graduates as they embark on this next stage in their life's journey, as they make friends, make decisions about school, about life, personal decisions. And so Lord, certainly we pray for them that you'd give them wisdom even beyond their years to make good decisions, that you would guide their friendships and that you would bring into their lives opportunities to develop deep and meaningful friendships with people that will truly care for them and have their best interest at heart. We pray for these parents and grandparents today as they are watching this transition take place. 
Give them the grace to manage this season well, as hard as it can be sometimes. When these relationships begin to change and shift and move into a new era, I ask you, Lord, to give them all wisdom to navigate it in a way that will honor you, dealing with some of the challenges that are natural that are going to come with it, regardless of the circumstances. And Lord, I pray for our church, because our church this next fall will be receiving college students who are moving away from home, who are coming here to go to school, and they're looking for new places to invest and engage just like these kids that are ours that are going off to other places. We always have folks that are moving here new for jobs and different opportunities and they find their way to the Metroplex, they find their way to us. So may we receive them all well. May we offer them opportunities to engage in deep and meaningful relationships and who knows, help them find a family. And we pray all that in the name of Jesus, amen.